Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning. Let's begin with the words of Jesus. In John 15, 5, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. I love when you guys start early and you join me. So let's all do it together. Would you stand and out loud, would you say these words of Jesus with me? Say them with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. You sound great. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are here in this room and that no matter what relationships we have in our life that are going well or aren't going well, you promise to be our source of life. May we see you in a fresh way today and lean into you like never before, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It is good to see you all here today. As Isaac said, we're going to be talking about mean people today as we continue our series in uh, through this uh, series we're entitling Relationships Matter. But to get us started and kind of get you ready to really focus and go there, I want to ask you a question. Who is your favorite villain? Maybe it's in a movie, a TV show, a book you've read. As you think about some of these mean people, who is your favorite villain? So here's what I want to ask you to do. Take 10 seconds and ask the person beside you what their favorite villain is, okay? Ready, go. Hey, and those of you who are online, we welcome you. Want to ask you in the comments right now just to go ahead and share with us your favorite villain. I love to go back later in the day and read those. Go ahead and get your Bibles. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 25 here in just a minute. All right, let's get going here. And I want to ask you to just kind of share that out loud. So let's start over in this section. If you would just shout out who was their favorite villain or who is your favorite villain. Ready? Go. Darth Vader. All right. Now, Shane, would you raise your hand? Shane was in the wrong section when he answered that question. There we go. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. All right. How about this section? And Shane, Darth Vader. We have a theme. All right. Shane has to sit still. No more sections. Right here. Can y'all give us somebody other than Darth Vader? I heard the Joker. Very good. All right, how about this section? Your favorite villain? Did you say Wiley Coyote? That's awesome. That's so good. That's strong. All right, here, favorite villain, this section right here. I didn't hear you. One more time. Beth from Yellowstone? No, we're not clapping for Beth, are we? <laughs> All right, right here, this section, favorite villain? Daffy Duck? Is Daffy a villain? Doug. Oh, Mark agrees. Who did you say? Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd. Well, okay. <laughs> there you go, from Elmer Fudd to Beth and Tombstone. It's funny is, we have these villains, and aren't some of them kind of fun to hate? 
Like there's just something that's just kind of enjoyable about them. In fact, if you're honest, I mean, sometimes we kind of even glorify them a little bit, don't we? Like they make the story more interesting and we kind of see, and we kind of unite behind disliking them. And, and there's just something that's kind of fun about that until that villain is in your life, right? And then you're on the receiving end of their meanness. And, and unlike Hollywood, we don't get to just walk out of the theater or remove them from our life. They're part of our life now and they're unkind. They're manipulative. And all of a sudden we gotta figure out how do we respond to those people, right? And, and the truth is there are sort of these two extremes that we're not talking about today. We're not talking about people who are annoying or kind of quirky. We're not talking about people who abuse us. We're talking about mean people. People who tend to manipulate, people who tend to be unkind, the opposite of the fruits of the spirit, right? These kinds of people who just tend to be in our life. And here's why we're talking about. It's so important that we focus on this and spend one Sunday on it because it tends, if we're not careful, when we're around mean people, there's a relevant truth for all of us and it is this. Mean people can make you mean. Have you ever noticed that? You just sort of act different when you're around them. In fact, what happens is when we're around mean people, we are tempted to sort of seek revenge, aren't we? And we begin to let their behavior change our behavior. And we begin to look like the very people we would never want to look like. And so it can ruin our reputation, not only in the moment, but for years to come, because mean people tend to make us mean. Not only that, but sometimes it'll not only ruin our reputation, but sometimes we'll compensate in other relationships and we'll hurt those relationships as well. And so because of mean people, if we're not careful, we'll not only ruin our reputation, but we'll hurt other relationships. Now, some people will say, well, you know what? I get a pass today because I don't even have any mean people in my life. And for, first of all, we say, man, be grateful for that. But here's what we know, you will. You eventually will, because we live in a broken world. We're all sometimes the mean people, if we're really honest. And, and, and if it's not you, it might be your spouse, it might be your friends, it might be your kids, it might be your grandkids. But we are gonna have in our orbit, in our relational circle, mean people again. And here's the thing I just want us to consider today. Wouldn't it be better if we had a plan for how we respond to mean people? Because this is the question we wanna wrestle with today. What does the Bible say we should do when someone is mean to us? What is our obligation or what is our way to live a life that thrives and honors God? And that's what we're gonna look at here today. In fact, there's this incredible story in the Old Testament with some characters that are lesser known that help us learn how we can respond to mean people. So I wanna introduce you to the three characters. We're gonna set it up, then we're gonna dive in because it is a fascinating story. Here are the three characters. They are David, Nabal, and Abigail. Now, most of us who've been around church or around the Bible a little bit, we know a little bit about David because remember, he was the second king in the nation of Israel, right? But when he was a little boy, he was a shepherd and he would oversee these flocks of sheep. That's gonna be an important skill that he's gonna draw from in today's story. But I don't know if you remember this about David's story, but he was sort of anointed as the future king. He was predicted that he would become the second king. And guess who didn't like that? The current king, right? That's kind of like a bummer, like, oh, you're, wait a minute, I'm not done, right? That's the way Saul, the current king, felt. So David ends up, after being anointed or predicted to be the next king, for many years he's on the run because Saul is after his um, greatest threat, which is David. 
So that's David. And then we have the second character, Nabal. Now, Nabal is a character that we might not know that much about, but he's a wealthy, stingy, and mean man. He's the mean guy in today's story. We all have a Nabal in our life, right? If we don't, we will. And then there's Abigail. And Abigail, the Bible says, is this woman of wisdom. She is actually married to Nabal. And she's the one who's gonna instruct us on how to respond to mean people. So with all that, let me give you the quick setup then we're gonna dive in together. What has happened is David and his men are on the run. He's got 600 warriors with him to avoid loss of life from King Saul. And they've got to make money while they're out there. And so he draws from his experience as a child as being a shepherd. And what he does is he's actually guarding other shepherds' flocks of sheep. They're kind of like the local police. And so as wild tribesmen would come and kind of raid these sheep, David and his men would guard different ones and they would get paid for that. And payday was when the sheep were sheared, they would go and they would receive payment. One of the flocks of sheep is owned by this man, Nabal, who refuses to pay because he's just mean. He's just kind of a jerk. And that's where we pick up the story. David responds the way many of us would want to respond. And let's just say it's less than God honoring, okay? So there's a, we're on the brink of a murderous plot is about what's to happen here. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to see it because we're going to get instructed once and for all, how do we respond to the mean people in our life? In your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. You can grab it, look in the table of contents, find 1 Samuel. We are in chapter 25 today and we're going to pick up the story in, in verse 2 where we see this amazing story unfold. Verse two of 1 Samuel chapter 25 says this. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep which he was shearing at Carmel. In other words, this guy is loaded. This guy is very wealthy. He would have been one of those that had vacation homes all over the world. He would have had a house full of Ferraris, that kind of guy. Except in this day, he had a whole bunch of sheep and goats, right? All right, verse three. We're gonna learn a little more about him. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. Now we learn about her. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman but her husband, Nabal, was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. In other words, we see even back then, opposites attract, right? Because they were very opposite. But remember, opposites attract until they get married and then they attack, right? <laughs> All right, let's meet David, verse four. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. Now, you know what that meant to him? Payday. This is when the, the, those who were guarding the sheep would get paid. So David sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. So here's kind of a traditional greeting. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. And then he'll pay you. That's kind of the custom. It's sort of like if you ever go to a hotel and the bellhop brings in the luggage and sits it down on the floor and he says, hey, I'm glad that you're here. I hope you have a nice stay. If there's anything I can do, just let me know. And the whole time he's got his hand out because he's expecting a tip, right? It's kind of customary. There's no obligation. They're not going to kick you out, but it is customary. It's the same thing here. 
David sends these 10 men. He goes, just give him, a, a, you know, it's sheep, sheep shearing time. It's payday. Go up and just give him a long greeting. He'll know to pay you. However, this is Nabal. And he's mean. Look down at verse 10. Nabal responds, and he answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? It's very, uh, you know, so much contempt in what he's saying, so condescending. And then he goes on to say, look, these guys are a dime a dozen. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? And he completely dismisses David. Now, David has an option now because someone has been extremely disrespectful and condescending to him. And one option David has at this moment is to go, you know what, maybe Nabal had a bad day. I'll go back tomorrow. Or, you know what, maybe this is one of those situations where I'll just pass on this. I've got plenty of other jobs. I'll, you know, God will take care of me. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Or he could say, he said what? Well, that's David's response. Look at verse 12. So David's men go back and they, they basically, they arrived, they reported every, every word to David. And watch, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David straps his on as well. And they're wanting to kill one man. So about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. I'm thinking when David reacts, he might just be overreacting a little bit, right? Like he's going with one thing in mind. This man dies. You don't pay, I repay, and you die. This is sort of, you know, the ultimate revenge. Well, meanwhile, he and his men are headed toward Nabal and they're going to exact vengeance. A servant gets wind of this and instead of going to Nabal, the servant's master, the servant goes to Abigail, Nabal's wife, to say, hey, Nabal didn't pay David and he's coming here and you need to do something or else this isn't gonna end well. And so the servant begins to talk to Abigail and we pick that back up in verse 17. The servant says, now, Abigail, think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. Why did I come and talk to you, Abigail? Because he, Nabal, is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Well, Abigail would agree because Abigail, when she hears that what her husband has done and David and his entire 400 men are coming her way, she decides to act quickly. Look at verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. Watch this. Her entire catering service opens its doors. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. I am paying this man what Nabal should have paid him. And then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal because he's not approachable, because he's mean. Well, on her way, they cross paths. This verse 20 says, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. 
Now, I'm picturing David and all his men spending this time, I don't know if it's hours or, or how long this ride would have been to Nabal's. You ever wonder what David was thinking in that time? Like, what am I doing? Or he's getting it, and this is how it's gonna go down. I don't know about you, but when somebody's been mean to me, I tend to have this inner conversation that is completely ridiculous, and yet it happens every time. Do you have this? When somebody's been mean to me, I envision the way the argument is gonna go down. And, and I envision a group of people listening in, and I am so impressive every time with every zinger, and the whole crowd is wild, and the person just either you know, apologizes or recognizes they've been defeated. Like that's the way the argument, that's the way the scene goes in my head every time. Anybody else do this? It's just me? Okay, a couple of you are honest, good. We'll give you the rest of you a minute to, to apologize for that in a minute. So watch David, you don't have to wonder what he was thinking. We actually have recorded what he was thinking. Look at it in verse, 20, or in verse uh, 21. This is amazing. I so relate with David, minus the bloodshed. Look at verse 21. David had just said, so in other words, he's been saying this on the way. It's been useless. I mean, he's angry. All my watching over this fellow's property, talking about Nabal, in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. I have done exactly what I said I would do, and I protected everything he had. And he has paid me back evil for good. Oh, he's mad. And here's what he's thinking. May God deal with me, David, if, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave even one male of all who belong to him alive. He is planning on the ultimate revenge, isn't he? He is seething in this moment. He is so angry and he sees no way. And here's, what, here's what's fascinating. He had 400 men going with him. And you know what all 400 men thought? David, you have every right to do that. And David would tell a story. No, no, no. We guarded his sheep and he guaranteed he would pay. And then he not only didn't pay, he was very contemptuous. We're going to go and we're going to settle this once and for all. And everybody go, well, of course. Yeah, of course. that's what you do. You can't let the guy off the hook. You ever notice that? Like if you have a story where somebody's really mean to you, you take them out to eat or you take one of your friends out to eat and you talk about this mean person and you tell them all the horrible things that they did, that the person sitting across from the table from you always goes, man, that's not right. Man, they shouldn't have done that. You can't let them off. You need to go and, you know, like you, they kind of, and they end up buying your lunch, right? Like, that's kind of, everybody feels sorry for you and everybody's on your side. This is what David is experiencing. Everybody's telling him he's much within the right to do exactly what he should do in exacting revenge. But while he's seething, Abigail, wise Abigail speaks up. Look at verse 25. She comes down and she begins to speak to David, who she knows has been predicted to be the next king. And she says, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. Wow, some pretty cruel parents, right? And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I didn't see the men my Lord sent. I didn't realize that people had come here to seek payment and that he hadn't paid back. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, watch this, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed. And David goes, what? No, no, 
blood's about to be shed. And she goes, no, no, no. David, you're better than that. I see it in you. You don't want to do this. And she begins to see in David what David doesn't see in David. There's power in our words. And then watch what she says. The Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. In other words, there's there's another way. He could be avenged, but not by your hands. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And then watch, she says, let this gift, so here's the payment, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. And please forgive your servant's presumption. Here it is. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. In other words, I know you're going to be king. You're going to have a dynasty. And then watch what she says. Because you fight the Lord's battles. She could be talking about Goliath. She could be talking about his battle against Saul or future battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. David, don't let this be a blemish on your resume. Don't let this be a regret when you become king. You're better than this. And this is where you need to trust the Lord, Abigail tells David. Now remember the last time we saw David speaking, he says, may it be the Lord will deal with me severely if by morning there is one male who is still alive in that household. And now he speaks again for the first time since he said that. And the words of Abigail have begun to transform him. Look at verse 32. David speaks for the first time and he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you, Abigail, today to meet me. And all of a sudden, somehow, someway, his focus has shifted from Nabal to God. And all of a sudden, in this moment, the temperature's beginning to lower And he's beginning to realize, oops, I was about to make a massive mistake. And watch what he does next. Everybody's facing Nabal's house until verse 33. He says, may you, Abigail, be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed. I've changed my mind. And for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. In other words, there's another way for avenging other than just my hands. Otherwise, as surely, I just want to remind you, Abigail, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And David accepted payment from her, which she had brought them, and said to Abigail, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Now we see that story and we think, that feels like what we probably should do. But man, that feels unsatisfying, doesn't it? Because what we're all thinking as David and all of his men go back is it's still not fair that Nabal gets away with it. It feels like he gets off scot-free and somehow he didn't have to pay for being mean. And for David to just sort of refocus on God and go back, something feels like it's missing. Well, look what Nabal is doing. Look at the next verse. Because it says, when Abigail went to Nabal, her husband, he was in the house holding a banquet like a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. Now, come on. He almost lost his life. His wife literally just saved his life. He has been incredibly cruel his entire life. 
And he seems to be getting away with it. But then look at the next passage. So Abigail told him nothing at all until daybreak. And then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed and he became like a stone. It was a heart attack, if it was a stroke, if it was some kind of medical coma, but something happened physically. And then verse 38, about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. I can't help but wonder, how did David receive this news as this great Christian man? He had to have been, he had to have felt empathy and pity and bad. Well, it says when David heard, he said, praise be the Lord. Praise be the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He got what he had coming. I don't know, there's something about me that kind of feels good that he can be so petty, right? And then he says, watch this, he has kept his servant from doing wrong, meaning David. God kept me from doing wrong, revenge. And God has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. God was the one who exacted the revenge. I don't know about you, but this is the hard part of dealing with someone who's relentlessly manipulative, unkind in your life, or maybe your kid's life, or grandkids. Maybe to your spouse or to a friend, there's this unkind person. And everything in you wants to seek revenge. Because if you don't, then they get off scot-free and that doesn't seem fair. And then we see a story like this, well, well, actually he, anything but got away with it, right? And then we're reminded what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 when it comes to revenge. He says, don't. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But watch this. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... It is mine to avenge. This is God speaking. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I think the creator of the universe can handle that more justly than I ever could. And he makes a promise here that he will handle the judgment. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about that and I'm like, I don't know, God is so loving and he is so kind. I don't know if he would do it as harsh as I would do it. I don't know if he's gonna do it as quick as I would do it. And there's something about, I see what they did, I, I feel what they did, and sometimes I'm not satisfied leaving judgment in God's hands. And this is where we're reminded of kind of a more convicting truth, and that is, if God's judgment doesn't comfort us then maybe their offense isn't the issue. Maybe it's my faith, my trust in him. Because let me tell you what you know and what I know. God sees all. In fact, would you just say those three words out loud with me? Say that with me. God sees all. He sees the mean person in your life he sees the unkind person and their repeated behavior. And he has promised proper judgment. You see, there's something about, yes, we want vengeance. And vengeance is right. 
but it's God's role. It's not ours. And that sometimes is the hardest of all, is to leave it with him. Now the story has an incredible ending, as so many biblical stories do, because if you look in the next part of the last rest of verse 39, there's a proposal yet. It says in the last part of verse 39, then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. And his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to take you to become his wife. So we come back to that question that we started with, and that is this, how do we respond to mean people? This is the question, how do we respond to mean people? And I believe there are two ways that we could respond. <clears throat> First, there is the way David respond, and David respond evil for evil. And that's the way we wanna respond, that's our natural response. And then there's the way of Abigail, and that is when we return good for evil. Now you and I are sitting here today in 2021 and we don't have 3,000 sheeps and 1,000 goats. Or at least I don't think we do, I don't. How do we respond good for evil? We're not gonna bake 2,000 or 200 loaves of bread and all those things, right? How do we do that? How do we respond to mean people? And Jesus said, it's the same way, we respond good for evil. In fact, here's where he said it. I want you to see this in Luke chapter six. These are the words of Jesus, and I believe it's one of the hardest truths that Jesus ever gave us. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies? Oh, he's not done. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. We're thinking revenge. Jesus is saying, no, love, do good, bless, and pray. Man, that's a lot higher standard, isn't it? I would rather just ignore, and Jesus says, no, we're not off the hook. Love, do good, bless, and pray. You say, yeah, but what about them? Well, if they get off the hook, and then we remember, oh, that's right, God is the one who does the judging. His judgment is guaranteed. And this is what sets us free. And this is the bottom line I really want you to see. Because God's judgment is guaranteed, then I'm free to do something for the mean people instead of to the mean people. I'm free to do what Jesus commands me to do because God sees to, to the judgment. Now I wanna share a story with you of a couple named Sandy and Klaus. Sandy and Klaus were college sweethearts back in 1973. And Sandy and Klaus were planning to go to a dance and the last minute they had an argument and Klaus, without telling Sandy, asked a different girl to the dance. I see some of you ladies shaking your head no already. I got, yeah. Well, Sandy gets word of this, and as you can imagine, she was crushed. And so she did what any of us would do. She goes to her group of friends to sort of seek comfort and to unload this frustration. And immediately, these good friends do what friends do. They begin to go, he did what? And they begin to say, okay, well, where's his car? And they kind of cued the Carrie Underwood song, like grab the bat, we're key in the car, and it's on, right? And after a while, temperature kind of came back down and then they began to go, okay, well, look, Sandy, seriously, 
You need to go tell him what you think and you need to give him a piece of your mind. You need to tell him off. You don't let him get away with this. And this is where the story takes an interesting turn because Sandy decided to ignore their advice and kind of do something that flies in the face of culture and Sandy does something courageous and she decides to return good for evil. And she decides to choose the way of Abigail. And she said, you know what I'm gonna do, friends, instead? I'm gonna bake some cookies. And I'm gonna take them over to his dorm. And that's what she did. And she left them there for him to find. And when he came home from the dance, sure enough, his roommates had eaten all the cookies. (laughs) However, she had left a note of kindness, which he saw. And her unpredictable, shocking response to his meanness, began to do a work in him. And they eventually reconciled. They eventually married and had a family. And some of you even know one of their children because he's our student pastor, Dane Miotiv. Isn't that cool? And Dane, as he was telling me this story this week, you could tell it's still part of their family lore. This idea of his mom, Sandy, and her unpredictable response to someone else's meanness. 50 years later almost, they're still talking about it because it was so unpredictable. In fact, 3,000 years later, we're still talking about Abigail's response. And here's what I want to tell you. Whoever's unkind in your life, how will your kids and grandkids and future friends be talking about that story in your response years from now? And this is where we get to do something that's unexpected and return good for evil. Now the question is, how do we do that? So I want to close with these four steps. Four steps and four ways that you and I can return good for evil. And this is what I say, even if you don't have a mean person in your life, you eventually will. Your kids will, your grandkids, you gotta have a plan. Here we go. Step number one, I just wanna encourage you to pause the punch. I know you wanna swing, I know you wanna get revenge, I know you wanna strap on the sword and you wanna go and just take care of business. We all do, but just remember your first instinct is not trustworthy and to hold off. Wait for that Abigail in your life to come and give you some perspective. Number two, is to pray for the fool. Nabal was called a fool, and truth is, we have people in our lives who act foolish, and we need to, as Jesus said, pray for them, because I have found it's impossible to hate someone you're praying for, because there's something about me looking at our creator, praying for someone he created, and I begin to put the humanity back in them, and I see them as more than just the bad thing they did to me when I pray as Jesus taught us to, even for those who hurt us. And then number three, and this isn't easy, but focus on your faith. Because as long as you're 100% focused on the person who offended you, you are 100% trapped. And the moment you begin to focus on your creator, you are set free. Remember, Jesus is the vine and we are the branch. My life source is the vine. And as long as I'm focused on another broken branch, 
I lose sight of the life source I have in Jesus. Focus on your faith. And then finally, do something for them. Do something good for them, to love them, to bless them, to pray for them, even those who've been mean. Why? Because if I seek revenge like I'm tempted to do, I become more like them. But when I do something for them, instead of to them, I become more like Jesus. And I wanna be more like my deliverer than my offender, and I know you do too. But the way of Jesus is a very difficult way. It is not an easy way, it is not the natural way. But I just wanna tell you what you already know. If we are gonna be people who are salt and light in a dark world, we have to live differently. And we have to represent our savior to people who need the hope and need the love. And that means we can't be people who are seeking our justice and our revenge for our sake. But we remember we've been forgiven of so much so we can forgive others of so much and we wanna choose the way of Jesus. Because God's judgment is guaranteed. I'm free to do something for mean people instead of to mean people. Now Abigail baked bread Sandy baked cookies. And so on your way out today, you are all going to receive a bag of cookies to remind you to return good for evil. Would you stand with me as we pray? And then we'll close together with a song. Father, we know we come, first of all, just admitting that we have to be honest and just admit that we sometimes are the, we are the mean people. It's one of the reasons we gather here every week is we're trying to let you develop our character, to become more like you. But Lord, we also are honest and recognize that we live in a broken world and people just struggle and whatever their struggles are, we sometimes are on the receiving end of unkindness. God, help us to trust you with judgment and then to really take the step of faith to respond by doing something for instead of to. And our goal, Lord, is not only to become more like you, but may it shine more light on you and remind us and others what you have done for us in our unworthy sin. You didn't do something to us. You did something for us. And may we become more like you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.